Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. I want to welcome you back to our podcast in the book of Revelation. I'd like to do now a few podcasts just to kind of summarize and, and bring to a climax our study of the book of Revelation. I hope indeed that you've actually listened to the podcast that have overseen um, chapters 1 through 22 in the book of Revelation. I think it's important to go through the book, to understand it, and, and to digest what it says. So often when it comes to the book of Revelation, we kind of get engaged in these discussions about this meaning or that meaning, or, and it applies here and it applies there, without really engaging in the text. So I really wanted to go ahead and lay out some, some podcasts that, that walked us through the book of Revelation. So my intention now in these podcasts is just to kind of summarize what we've studied, uh, bring some of the major questions that come to bear uh, uh, to the table, and, and to move forward. How do we understand this book? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us today? Uh, what is John describing? What's going on? For those of you who are interested and want to go into a much deeper study, I want to encourage you to get my book, Follow the Lamb. Uh, the subtitle of the book is A Guide to Reading, Understanding, and Applying the Book of Revelation. And what I do in that book is I kind of walk us through some key principles on how to understand the book of Revelation. Each chapter lays forth a key principle and then discusses it and describes it a little bit. And then there's questions at the end of each chapter that force you to go dig in the text for yourself and learn how to unfold the meaning of the book of Revelation based on what you're seeing. Uh, if, for those who are interested in, in a more formal uh, conversation, I've done a seminar, a number of seminars on the book of Revelation as well. They're called Follow the Lamb, and you can find those seminars on the uh, videos of those seminars on my website, DeterminedTruth.com, under the audio video page, or you can find them on YouTube. Now, as far as understanding the book of Revelation, the first thing that I want to really point out is that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. It just simply is. It's a book about Jesus. Revelation 1.1 that we looked at in the first podcast, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's a description of Jesus and his glory, his unveiled, uh, unveiled glory, who he is, what he's done, he's accomplished redemption for his people, and what it means for us. Uh, it's a revelation that's about Jesus Christ, and it's about Jesus who is coming. Certainly that's true, Revelation 1-7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds of heaven, and every eye will see him. And then several times throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. But it's also about Jesus who's already present among his churches. In Revelation 1.13, he's the one who walks in the middle of the lampstands. And he's the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands in chapter 2, verse 1 again. But indeed also, the book of Revelation is about God's throne. Uh, I've mentioned to you now before in a number of times that the book of Revelation is a story. Uh, it's, it's literature. It's, it's a literary work that's telling us a story for, for a particular purpose. And that story focuses and centers on God's throne. Beginning in chapter 4, John sees that God's throne is up in heaven. But by the time we get to the end of the book of Revelation, as we saw in our last several podcasts, the throne has come down from heaven to the earth. And the question in the story is, what's needed for the throne of God to go from heaven to the earth? And the answer, of course, is redemption. The answer, of course, is the nations need to be redeemed. God can't dwell among the people unless the people themselves are, are, are walking in holiness and in righteousness and, and desiring to be in God's presence. Well, how are the nations going to be redeemed? And the answer is by the 
faithful, persevering, sacrificial, loving witness of God's people. Now, of course, that means that the book of Revelation is really about this temple theology, that I believe the entirety of the Bible is this is a story about God's temple presence and how God desired to create a temple presence and bring humanity into his temple presence so they could reflect his glory to the nations. They got expelled, of course, in Genesis 3, and then how God's going to restore that presence of his or restore humanity back to his presence. And of course, ultimately, the uh, the book of Revelation describes the climax and the fulfillment of this where God dwells amongst his people in his temple presence. The book of Revelation then is also an exhortation to the people of God. Remember, it was written to the churches. It's not a book that warns unbelievers of all the bad, evil things that are going to happen to you unless you believe in God, as if God's some evil ogre that sits upon a throne waiting to, to, to spew out justice upon those who, who dissent from his opinions. It's a love story. And in that love story, God's telling his people that they need to overcome they need to overcome so that they can maintain their witness and be and, and be the faithful witnesses that he's called them to be so that the nations can repent. So throughout the book of Revelation, we see this repeated exhortation to the one who overcomes, especially the seven letters of chapters 2 uh, and 3. Now, the question of the one who overcomes uh, kind of raises a couple other questions, and that is, well, what does it mean to overcome? Uh, what, what are we overcoming? What is it that we're overcoming? And we, as we go through the book of Revelation, I think that question is answered. First off, we note that overcoming is modeled on Jesus' overcoming. Right? Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. The one who overcomes, as I overcame, I will grant the right to sit down with me on my throne. And then we see in chapter 5, the answer, well, how is it that Jesus overcame? And the answer is, he overcame because he was the lion from the tribe of Judah, and then he was the lamb that was slain. Remember verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 5? One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And then verse 6 says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. It's Jesus, the slain lamb, that's the center of the book of Revelation. And that the fact that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has overcome because he was the lamb that was slain. Now, because Jesus is the lamb that was slain and because he's overcome, the, the, chapter 5 goes on to say, he he's, uh, takes the book and he's worthy to open the book and, and he's made us a nation, a people uh, of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people, and, and, and we become kings upon the earth. And therefore, we need to overcome. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, then, we see another important point, and that is that we are to be imitators of Jesus. All right, we're the ones who who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In Revelation chapter fourteen, it says. So, first thing we know about overcoming is the fact that there's something that has to be overcome. Uh, the one who overcomes suggests that there must be something that we have to overcome. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we see that what it is that we must overcome is the work of the devil and his opposition to the people of God. Or maybe even more specifically, we could say false teaching, corruptions, uh, deceptions. We saw in our last several podcasts how. Uh, lying and liars or those who will inherit the, uh, inherit the lake of fire. Uh, so we see that the, the devil is the one whom we overcome and that his means of influencing and, and, and leading us astray is through bringing false prophets and false teachers into God's people. So we need to overcome the deception uh, that, that's inherent uh, within the church. When we add this understanding to the fact that we're supposed to be imitators of Jesus or that we have to overcome as he overcomes, we then begin to realize that our overcoming is through our faithful, persevering, sacrificial, loving witness. Now, I think an important question is this. 
what does this mean for us in the 21st century? Uh, what do we have that we have to overcome? And this is where I think it's extremely important to understand the message of the book of Revelation, that it's written to the churches and exhorting them to overcome, that it's making Jesus known, that uh, it's about God's throne coming down from heaven to the earth. Uh, see, the reality is this. I think many uh, evangelicals especially who have come to this popular understanding of the book of Revelation have come to believe that Revelation describes some future warfare uh, of the nations of the world against maybe against the nation of Israel, and they're going to gather in the Battle of Armageddon, and it's going to be the literal warfare that's going to take place there. Um, and that worldview, that perspective of Revelation in the end times, often leads to being excited when they see about wars and, and violence and, and earthquakes and famines and all these bad things happening in the world. Uh, because it's it's commonly pre presented as, well, when all these things happen, it's an indication that Jesus is coming is sooner, is closer and closer and closer and, and nearby. And I think this is an example of the devil being extremely insidious. Uh, the devil wants to destroy us. Uh, and there's two ways you can, do, you can destroy a, an enemy in warfare. One, you can just declare war. Um, and when you declare war, and, hey, we're going to fight against you, we're going to declare war, and you get your side together, and the devil gets his side together, and there goes the war. But another way to declare war is just to infiltrate the enemy, to lull them to sleep. And I think that we, the church has been largely lulled to sleep. The fact is the devil has come inside of us. And remember, the warfare in the book of Revelation is the warfare of the dragon against God's people. He goes to war against the two witnesses in chapter seven, chapter 11, verse 7. And he goes to war against the saints in chapter 13, verse 7. It's the war that the dragon wages against God's people. Remember chapter 12? It's the war that Satan has always waged to God's people. He stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. The dragon has always been waging war against God's people. But when we come to this popular conception that warfare is something that happens out in the nations of the world who gather again together against the nation of Israel, and then we get excited when there's actual war uh, on television because supposedly it's an, it's an indication of Jesus' imminent return, the devil has lulled us to, street, to sleep. We're looking out there. We're looking at the world. We're looking at the newspapers to see if there's in indications of Jesus' imminent return. In the meantime, the devil has infiltrated the church and corrupted us. He's lulled us to sleep. We're looking at the wrong things, for one. Number two, by looking at the wrong things, we're failing to, to accomplish our mission. The coming of Christ in the book of Revelation happens when the nations are converted. And the nations are converted by the faithful, persevering, sacrificial, loving witness of God's people. But we're not out there witnessing. We're sitting back on our couches watching television, being excited about war, and being excited about all these uh, earthquakes and famines and hurricanes, because supposedly those are indications of Jesus' imminent return. And we've been lulled to sleep. Another way that we, I think we've been lulled to sleep is the fact that we've been, uh, especially in the Western church, we've become so much like our culture that we don't actually have anything to overcome. We have nothing to overcome in terms of our culture because we, we, we're just like our culture. We, Economically and prosperity-wise, we're just like the culture around us. And I think the reality then is the devil has been, has been winning against this war. In the book of Revelation, uh, the compromise was sexual compromise that was theologically justified. Uh, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, uh, she, she commits adultery. But adultery in the, in the biblical world and in the book of Revelation is idolatry. And idolatry is placing your trust or confidence in something other than God. Some of us in our churches serve God on Sundays, but mammon on weekdays. Some of us in our churches serve God with our lips, but we serve mammon with our hearts. 
Some of us serve God in appearance, but mammon in reality. And, and we all struggle with these things. Please don't misunderstand. But the reality is the Western church has become so watered down. We've, we've compromised in so many ways that I think that we've fallen prey. And I think the most significant exhortation in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, verse 4, applies to the Western church today. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, so that you will not share in her sins. For her sins have piled as high as heaven, and, and God has remembered her iniquities. In the book of Revelation, it was also economic compromise. They gave in to societal pressures. They, they conformed to societies so that they can have security of food and housing and clothes. Well, in our evangelical churches, in our Western uh, Christian world, uh, we are prosperous. We're wealthy. Uh, and we don't even like giving to the poor because the poor have made their own bed. They've got to sleep in it. They've made bad decisions. They've made all these mistakes, and we can't help them out. I think so often, and, and as a pastor, as a teacher, that I, I have to be careful sometimes about preaching the gospel of Christ and the, the encouragement of reaching out to the poor in our Western context. Because so many people get upset when they hear about that. Because they have justified their own prosperity. Because after all, I'm faithful and I'm righteous and God's blessed me. That person over there is not faithful, not righteous, and his poverty is a sign of, of God's cursing upon them. Instead of looking at it from the, the lens of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, which says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We've so justified our, our wealth. We've so justified our, 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 our pleasure. We've so justified our materialism that we actually look in judgment and condemnation to those who are poor. Now, I'm not denying that sometimes those who are poor have made bad decisions. Uh, in the Western world, there's a lot of people that can simply have whatever they need if they simply would get up and go do something about it. But that's not true for everyone. That's simply not true all the time. And the fact that we sit back in our churches and, and, and content in our prosperity, and, and we, we refuse to give to our churches, we refuse to give to our missions organizations, because the, the, those people have what they need, and, 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 and they just need to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. Our lack of compassion, our lack of concern for the poor, our lack of concern for the fact that a lot of our material prosperity is at the expense of the poor. The simple fact is, that there's simply not enough prosperity for the entire world to live at the standard of living that the people here in the West live at, that, that, that I live at. If, if, if our goal was to bring the entire world up to the economic status that I have, or that most of us who are listening to this podcast have, it would be impossible because there are not enough resources in the world to go around. The result then means this. In order for us to have all the things that we have, some people have to go without and we fail to recognize and we fail to critique the economic systems of our world today. The fact that they exploit the poor, they exploit the marginalized, they exploit the less fortunate. That there are third world countries where people don't make a living wage. And then we're profiting upon their uh, being exploited. This is the great irony then. The book of Revelation tells the churches to overcome, to persevere in faithful, sacrificial, loving witness for the sake of the nations. To come out of the nations and to come out of the economic systems of the nations that exploit the poor and exploit the, the less fortunate. Uh, to, to, to not compromise these things for the sake of our material gain and prosperity. To watch out for political systems and nations of the world that, that, that bring about war and violence and, and destruction. And instead, many Christians look at the book of Revelation as though it's a description of literal events that are going to happen in the future. And we're supposed to sit back and wait for these literal events to take place. 
And these literal events mean the destruction of the nations and the destructions of the wicked people of the world. Instead of recognizing that the book of Revelation is a call to witness, a call to persevere, a call to love our enemies, a call to lay down our lives uh, for the sake of the nations. In my opinion, then, we learn from the book of Revelation that the devil is a mastermind. He's, he's brilliant. He's, he's evil and insidious. And he's caused the church to be deceived, both by looking for the wrong things, looking for wars and, and violence and earthquakes and famines, as though these are signs of Jesus' imminent return, and, both by, and also by causing us to sit back passively, watching for these things to happen and waiting for the return of Jesus. And as a result of that, we fail to actively engage uh, actively engage in our prophetic responsibility to be God's witnesses to the nations. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.